calvarychapelgreeley.org, 7 o'clock, or Facebook Live for that online service. But chapter 22 of Matthew, I pray that today's teaching will be an encouragement to you because it has been challenging to a lot of us over the last year and a half. And, um, and we see everything that's going on around us. It seems like things are unraveling spiritually, morally. Uh, things are confusing. We wonder what the future holds. I pray that today's message and this parable that we're going to look at is an encouragement to you because you and I that are in Christ, we have a wonderful future. And it helps us to keep our eyes on eternity, which we need to do, and to cause joy to come into our hearts. So, Father, we do pray as we enter into chapter 22 of Matthew that, Lord, that you would touch our hearts. Help us to remember to, to turn off any distractions, ringers on our phones, because we only have a few minutes in your word. These are the words of eternal life. And, Lord, we want to be attentive. We want to be teachable. I pray that we're encouraged and that our hearts would be stirred. Lord, we do pray in the season that we're in. We find ourselves in the heart of summer. But Lord, as uh, next month comes and the kids are heading back to school, parents and teachers are preparing, we just pray that your hand would be upon them. We thank you for the teachers that are light in the school. We thank you for, um, Lord, the parents that are teaching their kids. We just thank you that, Lord, we can be a blessing to them and encourage them. And, Lord, we pray for our kids. I think about the last service we had a baby dedication to see kids that are here and that are growing in your love and in your word. May we always be committed to teaching them, Lord, your truth. And, Lord, two things we can give to them, the world won't, truth and love. And so I pray you bless them right now. And the middle schoolers upstairs and all those who are in the coffee shop and, Lord, those who are listening online, I just pray for your hand to be upon us at this time, to be teachable, to be attentive. And, Lord, we just commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we open up chapter 22, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So Jesus telling of this parable now as we enter the chapter, who had arranged a wedding feast for his son. Now, if you've been with us traveling over the last couple weeks through Matthew, this is the third parable that we have in Matthew that Jesus is speaking to the leaders of Israel after they came to him. Remember, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, his last week before his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And the people are ascribing to him the title of Messiah, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He would then the next day go into the temple. He would overturn the money changers' tables. He would drive out those who were selling the sacrifices. He stopped all the activity that was going on there. And he brought a strong rebuke to the religious leaders. So as Jesus is teaching at the temple during this time, the religious leaders, they come and they interrupt Jesus. They, they come to him publicly. They come and they challenge him publicly about his authority. By what authority do you do these things and who gave you this authority? Now we know that Jesus has already told them by what authority and whose authority. He says, I come from heaven and my father has sent me, but they wouldn't listen to him. So Jesus says, I'll tell you, but first you need to tell me about the, the ministry and the baptism of John. 
Was it from heaven or was he just out there in the desert doing his own thing? And because of the fear of the people, the religious leaders would not answer Jesus. And Jesus said, neither will I answer you by what authority I do these things. But Jesus does answer them. Remember, he's speaking to the religious leaders. He answered, it says in verse 1. And he is answering them indirectly about his authority. And he says that, first of all, as we saw in the previous chapter, the first parable of the two sons, that there was a father that had two sons. And he would ask them to go and work in the vineyard. And the first son said that, I will do it. But he ended up not going out. And then the second son, he said, no, I'm not going to go. But he relented and he ended up going. And Jesus said that, I tell you that tax collectors and harlots are going to enter the kingdom of God before you. And because they believe the ministry of John, and therefore they believe my ministry, my message, that is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so you guys did not. And that would be a stinging indictment against those religious leaders. What do you mean tax collectors and sinners are going to get to the kingdom of God before we do? We were the righteous ones, but they didn't understand their need to repent and have a heart for God. The second parable we went over last week, and we covered it quite carefully, the parable of the wicked vine dressers, of the owner who had vine dressers that beat the servants that were sent, and, and finally the son that was sent. And then judgment would be pronounced on those wicked vine dressers, that he will destroy those wicked men miserably and leave, lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will then render to him the fruits of their season. So again, a disindictment against the religious leaders who had rejected the chief cornerstone that had come to them. And as he quotes once again from Psalm 118. Now as we enter in chapter 22, we see this third parable that a king wanted to honor his son with a wedding banquet, but as the servants went out to invite those at the, for the wedding, they were not willing to come, we read. It wasn't that they couldn't come. It wasn't that they were unable to come, but they were not willing, verse 3 tells us, to come. And as we read in verse 1 that Jesus answered and spoke to them again. We ended the previous chapter with the religious leaders, that is the chief priests and the elders, seeking to arrest him. Uh, we read that they're, they're wanting to lay hands on him in verse 46 of chapter 21. And to lay hands on him, it wasn't to pray over him. It wasn't to bless him. It's because they want to kill him. So here is Jesus. He is answering their hatred of him. And he says that the kingdom of God is like a king who has arranged a wedding for his son. And I think it's worth stopping right there at that point and, and pondering that because I think it's so wonderful. Isn't it wonderful? It isn't like a funeral. It isn't like a king who has declared war. And there are some Christians that, that they think that even though they come to Christ, that they're still at war with God, at enmity with God, that God is so angry at them. He must hate me. He's going to judge me. going to strike me with the lightning bolts. No, it's a wedding, which will be a great feast. He will provide all of that. Can we imagine how wonderful that is, where we are headed to the marriage supper of the Lamb? 
And in verse 3, we read, he sent out his servants to call those invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. Let's continue reading the parable in verse 4. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treating them spitefully, and killed them. Now, you might recall in Matthew chapter 10 that when Jesus took the disciples and sent them out two by two, that he said, this is the message you give. You go and give a message that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gave them instructions, go by the way, the, uh, don't go by the way of the Gentiles, rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You go to Matthew chapter 15. Remember Jesus was up in that area of Tyre and Sidon, and this Canaanite woman came crying out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me, because her daughter was vexed with this demon. And Jesus, as he would respond to her, but he would say that I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he did end up bringing healing to her daughter as she demonstrated this great faith. It's a wonderful, touching story that we learn so much about. Paul, writing to the Romans, says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or Gentile. So the father sending the son, the disciples would go to the house of Israel first, desiring for them to come to the wedding feast of the son, come to the wedding, everything is prepared, but they would not come. They persecuted, they killed the servants who were sent out by the king. And then as you go to the book of Acts, of course, on the day of Pentecost, that as Peter stood up and preached, 3,000 got saved. And then you go to chapter uh, 3 of Acts, 2,000 more got saved. And we know that the, in the early church, most of the believers were Jewish believers. But then the gospel would begin to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We see in the book of Acts that when Paul would go to the Gentiles that we know that um, he went into proconsular Asia, Macedonia, and Achaia. What did he do? When he went into a city, if there was a synagogue that was there, he would always go to the Jews first. And for the most part, they did not receive the gospel. They didn't respond that Messiah had come. They didn't respond to the invitation. John chapter 1. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. We read in verse 7, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So again, Jesus making reference to what the religious leaders had rejected, and that was Jesus. They rejected him. They had rejected the invitation to receive their king who was standing right there before them. They had rejected the preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The invitation was given, and because they did not respond to the message and to their king, there is spoken in this parable of the judgment that would come. And, of course, we talked about that in the previous parable he did that in 70 AD 
even as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that he wept over Jerusalem. He said, they're going to build an embankment around you, and they're going to, to you know, break through, and there's going to be death and destruction and devastation, which happened in 70 AD with the Romans coming in and destroying Jerusalem and the temple to where not one stone was placed upon another. So as Jesus is now begins to get prophetic here, verse 10, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the king, he, he wants guests to come to the wedding banquet. So they went out by the highways and by the byways, and they found those who were both bad and good to come to the banquet. And as we finish the parable, then we're going to kind of put it all together. We're going to look at it, and we're going to, you know, see what it means for you and for me this morning. So the banquet is full of guests in verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how do you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So a few things that I think is worth considering, a few points that we can make concerning this parable that is important for you and for me to understand. Number one, he sends out his servants to call those who are invited, verse 8. Those, those who are invited were not worthy. So as we have looked at this, we know that the reason that they were not worthy is because, listen, they rejected the invitation. And as we have discussed, Jesus speaking directly to the house of Israel that rejected him for the most part. But of course, there's application for anyone. What makes anyone not worthy to the banquet, to the wedding feast? And that is the rejection of the invitation to eternal life. The one who has rejected that invitation and will not and is not willing to come. It's not because they're not good enough in their own worthiness. It's because the invitation has been given to people to come. Jesus, have you noticed as you go through not just Matthew, but all of the Gospels, that the invitation is always to come. It's to come. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Come learn of me. We know that Jesus would say to the people up the Galilee after feeding the 5,000, come and, and believe in me, the bread of life that comes from heaven. And as you believe in me, as you feed upon me, the bread that comes from heaven, you'll never hunger again and you'll have everlasting life. He would say, come and drink of me, right? And come drink of me at the temple. Now of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. He told the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well, he says, drink of the living water that I have to give and you'll never thirst again. So the invitation is always to come. Nicodemus, the master teacher of Israel that came to Jesus there in John chapter 3, that Nicodemus, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Nicodemus know this, that the son of man must, the second must of the chapter, be lifted up as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. I'm going to go to the cross. And Nicodemus know this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. 
So as we read this, the invitation is to come. And Jesus said, many are, are you know, that are invited to this wedding. Um, many are chosen, but only a few, um, many are called, but few are chosen. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few that find it. Broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many go by it. Have you ever had anybody come to you and say, you Christian, how you can be so narrow-minded, saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How can you say that, that I have to come and repent of my sins and turn to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness of sin? How can you Christians say that? And, and, and all of this, and well, narrow is the road. It leads to eternal life. Broad is the road. Many go by it by way of destruction. Sometimes people get upset at you and me, and they say, why would God send people to hell? He's a loving God. You tell them there's an invitation. Are you willing to come? Are you willing to come as you give that invitation? You see, that's the problem, those who are not willing to come. And I'm reminded what we read in this parable, that they were not worthy again because they rejected the invitation. In Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas had been speaking to the Jews at Antioch, he said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. They were unworthy of everlasting life because they had rejected the gospel message. Second, notice that the servants of the king that took the message out now, we know that in context that what Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders who had rejected him and the prophets before him. But again, we can see how the king, our Lord, desires for us, his servants, to take this message of the gospel out. The invitation that God has to take it out to the highways and the byways. And of course, this parable speaking of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, we have invitations to give out. Do you know that? You have invitations to give out. And I pray that you would consider that and you would pray about that because sometimes that we say, I have a hard time giving the gospel or I'm just a little hesitant or I don't think I do a very good job. Listen, just allow the Lord to work through you and speak truth into people's lives and look for those opportunities to give that invitation. To be able to give the gospel to others. People need to hear it. There are people that are linked to you in your life. And I'm not saying this to put pressure on you or a guilt trip or any of this. You have an invitation. You have an invitation to give. And to simply be able to give that to others. Sometimes the enemy comes along and he sells us this bill of goods that I can't share the gospel because I'm not smart enough or I'm not good enough or articulate enough. Listen, just tell them that Jesus loves you, died for you wants to forgive you, has provided that forgiveness, has eternal life for you, as the Lord leads you and guides you. But always be ready for uh, opportunity to hand out that invitation to others. And may this church continue to stand on the truth. May we continue to stand on the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the word of God. Give that invitation to others. Thirdly, Notice that when the invitation was given to all, that they found both bad and good, verse 10. I like that because I believe it speaks of the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. 
And as I mentioned already, as we opened up the service, we are family. We are family. And we all have different backgrounds, uh, different ethnic groups, different experiences. You know, we, we're all different. But one thing brings us together, and that is that we love Jesus. And we are family with one heart and one spirit and one accord. And I can't wait till we are there before the throne of God, as Revelation chapter 5 tells us. And we'll be singing that new song of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. That's the church that you have redeemed us by your blood. We are a family brought together. And as we come together because of the invitation that we have accepted, there is one requirement, and that was they were to come, to come to the banquet. The invitation based on grace and the one who says, I've sinned. I need the Savior of the world. That I'm not righteous. I need to respond to the invitation to turn to Jesus for salvation and for forgiveness. It was Jesus that would say to the Pharisees, remember in Matthew chapter 9, when they were upset with Jesus because he had been eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders come to the disciples and say, why does your teacher do that? How can he do that? And Jesus responded by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We saw, as I've already mentioned in the previous chapter, the parable of the two sons. And Jesus saying that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you will enter the kingdom of God. Because they responded to the invitation to come. They relented, they repented and believed that Jesus is the Son of God. They believed the message of John the Baptist. And all through the last 2,000 years, people have responded to the invitation that I am one that's going to respond because I need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. I need to come because the invitation is given, which leads fourthly, that verse 11, there was a man who did not have on a wedding garment. And when he was confronted, notice here that he was speechless. Now, sometimes... Once in a while, I'll run into somebody that says, when I stand before God, I got a few things that I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him off about this or that. And I understand that some people do that out of hurt or loss. And they don't know about the goodness and the, the grace of God, the long-suffering of the Lord. That it's a bruised reed that he doesn't break and a quenching flax he doesn't quench. That in those times that we're hurting, he desires to still minister his love and compassion and comfort to us. But, you know, because sometimes things happen. And being a pastor and a chaplain for law enforcement over the last 20 years for, for law enforcement, 30 years as a pastor, things happened. I don't understand why they, people have gone through loss. People have gone through tragedy. I don't understand it all. But I know that when I'm confronted with things that I don't understand, I can fall back into things that I do understand. I can fall back on the love of God and his word given to me, and that he promised he'll never leave me or forsake me, and that his love remains, and that he's still working, that I can call out to him from the ends of the earth as David did when he was out in the wilderness, when my heart is overwhelmed, that the Lord is my protector, my stability, 
And maybe you're here and you're at the end of your world. Or maybe you're in a desert experience like David. And you don't know what tomorrow holds and you've been through hurt and you're wondering why. That you can be like David and you can call out upon the name of the Lord and call to him. And know that he's your protector and know he's your stability and know that he's the lifter of your head and he desires to bring comfort to you. But sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to tell God off kind of like, you know, because I don't, you know, because I'm a big shot or whatever. There's going to be none of that going on. That it is an awesome thing to stand before a consuming God. And the great white throne judgment is very, very real. And as we look at this, the application for you and for me, many of you know this, you don't come to God, to the king, to the feast in your own garments. Jesus saying that the king robed, you know, the guests with wedding garments, those who responded to his invitation. But there was one that was there that wasn't properly robed, and he was cast into outer darkness. So what Jesus is showing us here is, I think that, as again, most of us know, that we are robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That our robes of righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord, Isaiah declares. And I think that this truth is illustrated when you go to Zechariah chapter 3. There's Joshua, the high priest that is standing before the Lord. And the high priest would have those priestly garments on. To the people, he looked so religious. He looked so righteous. Look at him, the breastplate, the mitre, you know, the priestly robes. That is a religious person. These religious elite here that Jesus is speaking to, they saw themselves as being so religious. And Jesus, in Zechariah chapter 3, that the Lord said to Joshua, take away the filthy garments, because in God's eyes they were filthy. Take those filthy garments from him, and the Lord said, see, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. We know that there are people that will try to come to the marriage feast of the Lamb and they will try to make it to heaven on their own merit. And they will try to come in in their own efforts and their own good works and their own righteousness, but they will not make it. You cannot come in robed in your righteousness. You can't do it. And you may think that you're a good person. And you may be. People can look at you and say, I'm very grateful for you. You're a good person, but you're not good enough. None of us are. None of us have been. That's why we need the gospel. That's why I love the book of Romans. Chapter 1, the heathen. You know, they're guilty. Chapter 2, the self-righteous person. You're just as guilty. Why do you judge another? You're guilty of the same sins. Chapter 3, we're all falling short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And we need the gospel. And we've been justified freely by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ as we come in faith. We will never make it, no matter how good you try to be, how righteous you try to be, how sincere you are. When examined by the king, you come in your own righteousness. It's like filthy rags. And you're not properly robed. Isaiah the prophet would write in chapter 61, that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so in verse 13, the parable then yields to reality of outer darkness. Know this, that hell is real. It is real. 
And it is eternal. And don't let anybody snow you into telling you that hell is not real or it's not eternal. Jesus spoke more in hell than he did on heaven. But lastly and fifthly, the invitation, remember it is joyous. It is wonderful. It's an eternal event. The wedding feast of the Lamb is a real thing that we are going to be a part of. I can't wait for that time. Have you ever noticed the gospel when it was given to you, that it was given to you that it brought joy? I know for me it did. I know when I first became a Christian, it was like, man, I knew that I was a new creation in Christ, that old things had passed away. I didn't know the verse, but I just knew it. I knew it in my heart, and there was such joy, and the, and the weight, and, and all the guilt, and all that was gone, and I looked at things differently, and, and God's peace and joy was in my heart for the first time. And as I go through life, many years being a Christian, just as all of us do, that we go through the trials and difficulties and the times that are hard, and my prayer is, Lord, rejoy, restore unto me the joy of my salvation like David did. There is joy as we come to the gospel. Somebody sent me a YouTube. I get a lot of YouTube stuff that gets sent to me, and I can't watch it all. There's so much. But they sent, and they said, what do you think of this? And, and it was somebody giving an invitation. This was a while back, a few months ago. And as I gave that invitation for the gospel, I, I tell you, it was like they were being invited to a funeral. Yes, we are to Repent. Yes, we are to come and realize that we are sinners. That's part of the gospel message. That's why Jesus went to the cross. We need to understand that. There is leaving the world and turning to Jesus. But it's an invitation to a wedding. Sometimes it's presented as so heavy and, you know, and, and, you know, you, it's about him. What he's done for us. And he came to give us life, but listen, life abundantly. You see, in this culture, a wedding was very joyous. It was good news. People looked forward to it. They would have to prepare because, as we're going to see in another parable, that the groom would then go for his bride at an unannounced time. The guests would then come to the wedding to celebrate Knowing that our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, will come for us should cause us to be excited and prepare and look forward to that time. And it causes us to have peace and comfort and joy as we keep our you know, eyes on the things above, as Paul wrote to the Colossian believers, not on the things of this world. All the things that we see around this that cause us to be troubled in our hearts to understand it is all culminating into something that's going to be very, very wonderful. And that is we're going to be with him. we got an incredible future that is ahead for us. And part of that is the marriage feast of the Lamb. But I want to say this, and I say it very humbly. And I say it very honestly. If anybody is listening to this, whether in the services this morning or online or on the radio later, and you're saying, I don't need this Jesus stuff. I don't need it. I don't need to respond to the invitation. I want to live my own life. I want to pursue the pleasures of the world. I want to live my own way. I want to do my own thing. Go ahead. Go ahead and pursue the pleasures of the world. 
And this is what you're going to find out, that this is the best that it gets. Because as I mentioned to you, life is short. The scripture says it's but a vapor. And you will stand before the great white throne judgment if you refuse the invitation. And there will be a sentence of guilty. And there is a casting into the lake of fire. And it is for all eternity. This is the best that it will get. But you will also find out in this life that over time you will find yourself that you will be empty and you will be unfulfilled and you will find yourself being deceived because that's what the enemy does. He'll hold the carrot out and he'll say, live for yourself, please your flesh, you know, just go for it. You don't need Jesus. You don't need to make a decision for Jesus. Just wait. But you need to just go for it in, in living for, for you. You sit upon the throne of your life. You will find yourself being deceived and unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And you will see, because he's a master deceiver, that it was all deception. I'll tell you what, living for this world, it's a big ripoff, folks. And that's what the enemy wants you to believe. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, a blessed life. Because you were created to worship him, to have fellowship with him. You were created to know him, to have his peace and joy and wisdom, to be light. doesn't mean that life is all rainbows and lollipops. We go through the trials and difficulties. Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, but I've overcome the world. And to be there for us and his promises be true to us don't reject the invitation it's the greatest invitation that you can receive eternal life through Jesus Christ who loves you so much he loves you and as he went to that cross he did it because of you and it was you that was on his heart and mind as he hung between heaven and earth Make an atonement for your sins. He came for you. And the invitation is to come. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for Jesus coming and giving us truth. And, Lord, we thank you that an invitation has been extended to us. And I do pray right now, if there's anyone here that you've never responded to that invitation of eternal life through Jesus Christ, I pray that you would know that Jesus came and died for your sins because we're all sinners. And he is our salvation. He is our hope. He is the way. He's not a way. He's the way, the truth and the life. Jesus went to a cross because of his love for you. No one comes to the Father except through him. He died on that cross. He rose again. He's alive. And the invitation is to come, to repent, turn directions, turn to Jesus, turn to him, call out to him. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To confess that you're a sinner in need of the Savior. Believe that he's alive for the living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. And in your heart praying that, Jesus, I come to you I respond to the invitation as given of salvation. 
to, to be forgiven. Forgive me of my sins. I confess I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus, that you're alive. You rose from the grave. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart, my life as my Lord and Savior. And I say yes to the invitation. And I thank you for this new beginning, this new life, this new spirit, a new creation in Christ, and bringing me into the family of God. Help me to walk with you and know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. For all of us here, that we would extend that invitation to the people that are linked to us in our lives. Lord, that we would give light in the darkness, truth in the deception. That we would tell people the way. That He is the way. Father, help us be sensitive, to be bold, to be used as we're in this time, in such a time as this, in the days that we are in. I pray that you would bless everyone here. Lord, we know that people are trying to finish their vacations up in the next few weeks, and so just bless them and be with them. Keep them safe. Lord, I do pray for those that I know there's not only Jay and Joan, but other few other families that are looking at making a move, that you would give them wisdom and provision, that they would find a church family that they can belong to. Pray for the kids going back to school, Lord, all the teachers and the moms and parents and grandparents getting their kids ready. Pray for a blessed year, that we would come alongside and encourage them in every way. And Lord, I thank you for this church family privilege that it is for us to gather here all during the week and on Sunday mornings. May we never take it for granted. Lord, as we go out of here, may we be Lord, truth and life and give the love of Jesus to others. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.